This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Overcoming great challenges like COVID-19 requires great cooperation. This is Dan Hilferty, CEO of Independence Blue Cross. Most of us never imagined we'd be facing an outbreak of this magnitude. But in the face of this challenge, hospitals, public officials, and business leaders have come together. Through effective cooperation, these leaders are taking steps to keep us safe. Slowing the rate of infection from the virus will help hospitals care for those who need attention most. Remember, stay home. Leave only for essential needs. Stay informed from sources like the CDC or Department of Health. Take a break from watching the news. Stay well, exercise, and practice self-care to make sure you're physically and mentally fit. In our great region, we have a tradition of caring for each other and cooperating to get things done. We'll do it again now. For more, visit ibx.com COVID-19. Together, we will beat COVID-19. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. A radio.com station. From the Malamud and Associates Law Studios, it's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. That is a very, very robust, vigorous, achu sneeze. That's what that is. And that's not what we're talking about. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning and welcome on this fine Sunday. This is Dr. Marianne Ritchie and you're listening to Your Radio Doctor. Today our topic is diabetes, current testing, therapies, and how diabetes relates to COVID-19. You'll hear from two international experts, Dr. Robert Gabay from the American Diabetes Association and Dr. Jeffrey Joseph from Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. Dr. Gabay, he's an MD and a PhD, is the new, as of July, Chief Scientific and Medical Officer for the American Diabetes Association. Quite an honor. And he's also a global authority on diabetes. Dr. Gabay leads the American Diabetes Association's efforts in the world of diabetes research, care, and prevention. Previously, he served as the Chief Medical Officer and Senior Vice President at the Joslin Diabetes Center, where he is still an Associate Professor at Harvard Medical School. The reach of his work has been recognized across the globe. He's a keynote speaker at worldwide meetings of the ADA and other national and international diabetes societies, along with an extensive list of publications. His views have appeared in popular press as well, such as the New York Times, CNN, Washington Post, and NPR. Welcome, Bob. Thank you for sharing your time with us today. Thank you so much, Marianne. Well, I think it would be great for our listeners for our first segment to cover what diabetes is and when people have a better understanding, they're more committed to prevention and taking care of themselves. So maybe we should start with the definition of diabetes and just briefly explain the difference between type 1 and type 2. Sure. So, you know, diabetes is fundamentally uh, when uh, blood sugar rises, when people have uh, blood sugars that are high. 
Um, and uh, the, the blood sugar we're talking about is glucose. Glucose is the fuel for the brain, um, and so it's critically important to keep it in the right range. And people with diabetes, um, diabetes develops when that uh, glucose or blood sugar level goes up. And, and there, there's sort of two main causes, um, and we call them type 1 and type 2. Um, type 1 is where um, the hormone that helps control glucose, that helps control blood sugar, uh, insulin, is, uh, is essentially destroyed. It's an autoimmune disease where the body's immune system attacks the part of um, the body that makes insulin. And so these people make no insulin over time, and their only treatment is to get insulin injections or insulin treatment as a replacement. And that's probably about 5 to 10% of the population, whereas type 2 is interesting in itself. Yes, and so that's exactly right, Mary. And that's, that's 90% of people with diabetes have type 2. And type 2 is sort of two problems together. One problem is that people become resistant to the effects of this hormone insulin. So the insulin doesn't work well for them, uh, the insulin that the body makes. And so the, the natural response is uh, the body makes extra insulin. Um, and, and about a quarter of people in the U.S. Uh, have this, uh, uh, are in this place where they're resistant to the effects of insulin. They make extra insulin. They don't have diabetes yet because they're able to make enough extra insulin. And what determines who then gets diabetes is the second problem. And that second problem is the body can no longer make that extra insulin. And, and as it starts to peter out and can't make enough insulin, blood sugar rises, and now they have diabetes. I've never heard it explained so clearly. That makes perfect sense. Because when we read about it in the medical literature, we say, well, there, there's probably some genetic component. Because if you have a family member with type 2 diabetes or other medical problems like high cholesterol, hypertension, obesity, your risk goes up. But then we like to focus on prevention, that magic word. If you know that you're a little more likely to get it than someone else, you'll avoid unhealthy diet, you'll add exercise to your program, um, and even patients who have gestational diabetes, probably half of those patients might look at type 2 later in life. Am I right about that? Yes, exactly right. So, uh, you know, women that develop diabetes during pregnancy, gestational diabetes, Half of those women will develop full-blown type two within ten years. So mm -hmm. it's a really, it's really a high-risk uh, group, and and you know I think it's it's really important that people understand that although there are genetic components and and uh, obesity is part of the risk and a sedentary lifestyle sort of adds to that risk of developing diabetes. The good news is that. We know a lot about how to prevent diabetes, and uh, there are programs around the country uh, that are part of the uh, Center for Disease Control, the CDC, called the Diabetes Prevention Program. And that is based on a research study that showed for thousands of people that if they engaged in a lifestyle change, they lowered their risk of developing diabetes uh, 
by 58%. So really was very, very effective. And that gives people comfort because if something's out of your control, like a genetic risk for cancer or diabetes or whatever it is, you say, okay, I'll do my best. But if, if you think that you can start early with uh, a healthier diet and just even simple exercise, it can avoid a lot of problems that we're going to talk about. So screening, whether we're screening for a cancer or high blood pressure, whatever it is, the rationale for screening is, A, there's an asymptomatic stage, meaning it's in your system, and if you don't know, uh, how can you prevent it? Um, there's an easy test to screen for it. We have good treatment available. So it's so smart to screen for diabetes. As you said, a quarter of Americans uh, will be faced with it. Um, and it's a public health problem. Diabetes is one of the major causes of early illness and death worldwide, and yet the prevalence seems to continue to rise. Yes, diabetes continues to rise, and uh, and as we'll talk about in the world of uh, COVID now, that's become another factor in the rise of diabetes. So, yes, mm-hmm. we we the the good news is that it's easy to diagnose, and and one thing I might just mention to your listeners is um, there is a very simple sixty second risk test that you can take online at the American Diabetes Association website, and it'll give you a good sense of what your risk of uh, developing diabetes is. Mm -hmm. So a patient should look for symptoms of being thirsty, urinating frequently, even nighttime, waking up to pass their urine, weight loss, blurry vision are the typical symptoms. Exactly. Although Mm -hmm. uh, those symptoms may not develop until someone's had diabetes for a while, and that's why it mm-hmm. is important to screen because um, many times people have had uh, type 2 diabetes for some years before they're actually diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And as you said, um, there is a pre-diabetes stage. If you have, have an elevated hemoglobin A1C test, um, you can tell us about that. But if you learn that you have pre-diabetes, jump right in with the prevention because some of the vascular damage that we see that leads to kidney disease, blindness, early heart attacks, and stroke start happening. The damage can start happening in that pre-diabetic stage. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's the group of people, when I mentioned that, that study that showed you could reduce the risk of diabetes by 58%, it was people with pre-diabetes. Um, and, and just put into, you know, a, a sense of what people did, uh, it wasn't anything terribly heroic. Um, they, they got 150 minutes a week of exercise, and they lost 7% of their body weight, something that, you know, is, is doable. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not out of the reach of most people. And so there really is something we can do to prevent diabetes from developing. Yeah. Let's take a little break. I, I want to add that the, the beauty of exercise, one of the biggest benefits, even if you don't lose weight, it improves control of your blood sugars and lipid metabolism, your cholesterol levels. We're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Gabet. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.com. And we're back with Dr. Robert Gabay from the American Diabetes Association. 
Bob, we were talking about the benefits of exercise. Even without weight loss, it can improve your blood sugar levels and breakdown of your cholesterol. Um, the other thing was people ask about dieting or intermittent fasting. Hypoglycemic or low blood sugar levels can be just as dangerous as high blood sugar levels, yes? Yes, particularly for people that have diabetes, their blood sugar can drop too low depending on what medicine they're on. And uh, often that means they either need to adjust their medication or uh, work with their health care provider to change the medications that don't cause low blood sugars. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, be mindful of the things to avoid low blood sugars because it, it can be dangerous. And so really check your blood sugar levels before during and after exercise as well. Um, I know we're going to be interviewing Dr. Joseph about continuous glucose monitoring in more detail, but that has become the standard of care, yes? The little monitor that's subcutaneous? Yeah, and, you know, particularly for people with type 1 diabetes, uh, it is very much the standard of care. For people with type 2, we're learning more, but for those that are, for example, taking insulin, absolutely. Um, yeah. And and it's really quite remarkable. I mean, it measures blood sugar continuously, so you can look at any moment and see what your blood sugar is in an instant. And that's oh, something awesome. that we dreamed of only a few years ago. Some of the other nuances that might surprise our listeners, a heart attack can be silent, uh, meaning no symptoms at all. Or if you have diabetes, instead of the typical chest pain, you might just be dizzy or have nausea or have pain in your neck or jaw. So that's important for people to know. And some other things that will motivate us to take better care of ourselves, even without diabetes, is that other than the usual complications, like stroke, heart attack, be it an increased risk, that some patients get what's called gastroparesis. I see that a lot in my practice. The stomach slows down, and that makes it harder to control blood sugar levels. And some people can get fat deposits in their liver. So lots of good reasons, including diabetes, may be associated with the risk, a higher risk of certain cancers like pancreas, uterus, colon, breast, etc. So um, all your work to help with prevention is so important, Bob. So let's talk about COVID. Uh, I think a common question patients have, are patients with diabetes at a higher risk for COVID? Yeah, great question, Marianne. Uh, so, you know, clearly um, uh, when people with diabetes get COVID, they do much worse. And uh, they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily more likely to catch it, but when they get it, they do much worse. And, and here's a really staggering statistic that we, we just uh, pulled, is uh, if you look at all the people that have died from COVID in the United States, 40% of them have diabetes. Wow. I didn't realize it was so high. Yeah, so it really is, it really, the, the bad outcomes are happening disproportionately for people with diabetes. Well, I know that the risk of contracting COVID isn't higher, but the likelihood of having more severe outcomes is the issue. So do we understand any more why diabetes alters the immune system or there's an interlock with the uh, inflammation? Yeah, well, you know, we, we don't we don't have the full answers. And, and in fact, uh, just a couple of months ago, the American Diabetes Association funded a series of research grants to try to understand exactly this, the interaction between uh, COVID and diabetes. But we know that um, 
diabetes is a, an inflammatory state to some degree, and we think that may be part of it uh, uh, because inflammation is part of uh, and, and immune uh, dysregulation is part of the problems in COVID. Uh, another thing we, we're starting to realize is, uh, you know, if blood sugars are high, uh, one has much more difficulty fighting infection. And so mm-hmm. uh, people with diabetes who, whose blood sugars are not doing well are, are probably at much greater risk of having uh, worse outcomes with COVID. And again, something you can do That's something about. You can, you can get better yes. control of your diabetes and, and ensure that you do better. Uh, you make a great point because poorly controlled diabetes makes it harder to fight any infection, but especially uh, COVID-19. And then there are studies, uh, as I understand, that show that well-controlled sugars during hospitalization, they have a better outcome and, and lower mortality rate. So uh, that's so important for people to hear. Does does having COVID make it harder to control your diabetes? Uh, it can in the sense that when, when, you, when you're fighting an infection, the uh, the other hormones that are uh, made in the setting of infection raise your blood sugars. And so it's important to be uh, measuring blood sugar more frequently, being in contact with your healthcare team to see if you need uh, uh, medication adjustments uh, to control blood sugars as best as possible. Bob, quickly, the other point I wanted to make was that in a recent New England Journal of Medicine edition, August 20th, there was a letter from a group of international diabetes researchers. They have a registry where they share information from across the globe. There's a hypothesis that, yes, uh, COVID can make it harder to handle your diabetes. Diabetes makes you more likely to have uh, more severe COVID. But there's also a report that COVID may cause new cases of diabetes. Have you seen that at all? Yes, that, that's, that's very interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we don't know why, uh, although there is some uh, evidence that COVID attacks the, the cells that make insulin and that that may be part of the issue. And, they, and in fact, some of the grants that we've uh, funded for, by the American Diabetes Association are exactly trying to understand what the effect of COVID is on, on the uh, pancreas uh, where insulin is mm-hmm. made. So we just have to be aware of that. And, and Bob, you've been recognized for your many contributions in the efforts to prevent and treat diabetes. Can you tell us a little about your efforts with patient education and decreasing disparities in healthcare access? Yes. Um, so, you know, we we obviously in this country are at a, uh, a moment in history where, um, you know, we, we realize that uh, there are just such tremendous disparities uh, in society and particularly around health, which really should be a human right. And, and you can't talk about health disparities without talking about diabetes because we see it front and center. Anywhere from statistics like um, the amputation rate in black Americans is three times that of whites. Uh, there are just all sorts of examples of how uh, people of color have um, been disproportionately affected by diabetes. And so the American Diabetes is taking a stand on this. We've created a patient bill of rights uh, as one of the things um, I, I, I would recommend 
taking a look, uh, we have a, on our website, Health Equity Now, uh, has some valuable information about what we're doing and how your listeners can be involved. And if people wanted to visit your website, diabetes.org is the easiest way to get there? Yes, exactly. And, and you'll find a wealth of information, the risk test I talked about, information about COVID and diabetes, uh, uh, information about what to eat and how to manage your diabetes, uh, a, a lot of great, uh, great things, that uh, resources. And I think, too, one of the points about exercise, and I'm sure this is, I, your website is beautiful. It's so well-written and easy to um, navigate. Um, with exercise, before you decide you're going to get out there and be a weekend warrior, talk to your doctor about an exercise plan. Because as we mentioned earlier, um, listen to me pretending to be the expert here, Bob, but too much. Uh, can be hard if you have hidden angina or hidden heart disease, you're not aware of it yet, uh, or exercise can drop your blood sugars. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about your work with health disparities. But all those things, check with your doctor first. Am I right? Absolutely, yeah. We want to be careful. Let's take a little break, and we'll speak to Dr. Jeffrey Joseph about the latest technology in controlling your sugars, and then we'll return with Dr. Robert Gabay from the American Diabetes Association. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. And welcome back. We're pleased to have our next guest, Dr. Jeffrey Joseph, a professor of anesthesiology, the Vice Chairman and Director of Research of the Department of Anesthesiology and the Director of the Jefferson Artificial Pancreas Center here at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. Welcome, Jeff. So great to have you. Thank you, Marianne. And we've been speaking with Dr. Robert Gabay, American Diabetes Association. I know you work very closely together. And he's in Boston and you're in Philly, but it's great. Technology brings us all together. And he sends his hellos. Um, Anyway, bring us up to speed, if you would, Jeff. I know technology is constantly improving in helping manage patients with diabetes. Uh, for many years, the technology used for diabetes has been using finger stick blood samples and putting a sample of blood to a meter in a test strip, and then the person deciding how much insulin to give for themselves. But in the last five to 10 years, there's been technology developed that are real-time glucose sensors that people can self-insert uh, into their body that actually can measure the glucose concentration in their tissues minute by minute. And that information from the sensor can be transmitted uh, to an insulin pump uh, and that insulin pump can have a uh, computer algorithm is in it, and together the sensor talks to the pump, and the uh, computer can decide how much insulin to give. So moving in the last few years, the standard of care has become connecting a sensor to an insulin pump 
and that's called automated insulin delivery. And in addition to the insulin pump, uh, there's also a sensor can talk to the person's cell phone and it can alert an alarm if the glucose level is going high or the glucose level is going low. And the person's uh, cell phone can also connect with a caregiver, a parent or a guardian, and their cell phone can also alert an alarm uh, to if it recognizes the glucose level is going too high or too low. Which is vitally important because I know my niece has type 1 diabetes and has been really ravaged by it. And once she has the um, GCM, glucose constant monitor, she doesn't have the closed loop you're describing. So for our listeners, some patients have a monitor that tells them what their sugar is so they don't have to keep sticking their finger. Dr. Joseph gets 11 gold stars out of 10. He's been at this for 20 years. He first started working on this. And understand, my listeners, Dr. Joseph is an anesthesiologist. And I guess, Jeff, after monitoring people's vital signs and sugars through so many surgeries, you said, hey, we can make this easier. Tell us a little bit about that, how it evolved. So basically, as an anesthesiologist, you learn to monitor people in real time. And you care about the level of glucose or the level of oxygen or level of blood pressure. But basically, it's the change of that over time. So in Mm -hmm. diabetes, in health, your goal was to keep the glucose level in a target range, let's say 80 to 140 milligrams per deciliter, the normal range. But with diabetes, the cells that sense the glucose and deliver the insulin into your body that becomes abnormal and you can uh, have a high glucose level or if you're giving yourself insulin to treat it, you can have a low glucose level. And basically the technology that we're developing measures that in real time and it doesn't give you just the glucose level, but it gives you the direction of change and the rate of change. And the computer in the insulin pump on the cell phone recognizes the trend and it gives you just the correct amount of insulin. So after a meal, you don't go too high. And then after uh, a couple hours after the meal, it turns the amount of insulin that it gives down so you don't go too low. And so the main advantage is after a meal, And the other main advantage is it controls your glucose very precisely while you're sleeping overnight. So currently, in an open-loop fashion, people wake up with sometimes too high a glucose and sometimes too low a glucose. But with this new technology, the sensor talking to the pump, Mm -hmm. you wake up in the morning with the glucose in a near-normal range. And in terms of someone's quality of life, that's huge because you're waking up in the morning, you're trying to get ready for work, and instead of you being out of control, you wake up in good control. Well, I think the other point you mentioned for our listeners, low blood sugars are as dangerous in causing damage to your organs as uh, the high levels. But also, if a person goes low and they're out on a walk or they're out by themselves, the fact that it alarm the alarm goes off on their own cell phone as well as their next of kin or their friend, and they, if they do pass out someplace, 
know, somebody knows to go looking for them. Um, Jeff, you get so much credit. You, as I say, 20 years, you helped to design that first uh, sensor, but you've taken a step beyond with the catheter. So as you say, closed loop, one part of the sensor measures the blood sugars, sends a message to the insulin pump that delivers. That is incredible. Tell us a little bit about the catheter you designed. So the components of a closed-loop artificial pancreas are a glucose sensor or a continuous glucose monitor that a person self-inserts under the skin, and there's chemistry on the end of a little wire, and that measures the glucose in tissue fluid literally minute by minute. It wirelessly sends the information to an insulin pump, and the insulin is delivered minute by minute, but around meals, it gives more insulin to counteract the carbohydrates that you're eating in the meal. So the way that the insulin pump delivers the insulin into the body is a disposable uh, plastic device that uh, is inserted un through the skin into the fatty tissue underneath the skin. And currently, uh, people need to put a new catheter in every two to three days. However, we've been developing for the last three to four years a novel catheter that is soft and flexible. It has a wire-reinforced wall, so it eliminates kinking multiple holes so it distributes the insulin into a greater surface area of the fatty tissue and we found that it reliably delivers insulin into the tissue in a more consistent fashion instead of needing to be replaced every two to three days we got it to work well seven to 14 days and that particular new device is now being tested to get fda approval for human use it's Nobel Prize kind of work, Jeff, and congratulations, because as we're saying, aside from not missing sticking your finger 10 times a day, you've told us that the results of managing a person's sugars are much more accurate and it keeps the person's life safer. And if we keep your sugars under better control, Dr. Gabay has told us you're less likely to have severe uh, complications of COVID and damage to kidneys, stroke potential, heart attack, all those things are so much better because of your work. If people want to learn more about it, what website would they visit? Yes, it's very exciting technology, and it's actually uh, being FDA approved uh, now. The initial products and new devices are coming out in the next two years that will totally change the way that diabetes is managed in the United States. Well, thanks to you and all your hard work and your genius, really. I know it's going to make my niece's life a whole lot better. So patients can represent, visit jefferson.edu. Jeff, thank you so much. Thank you very much and have a nice day. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. Dr. Marianne will return, but first, a medical message from one of our partners. And we're in our last segment talking about diabetes with the international global, I should say, expert Dr. Robert Gabay from the American Diabetes Association. So, Bob, I find it interesting, as you say, you can't choose your parents, you can't pick your genes, but if we can prevent diabetes in some cases, 
that's a beautiful thing. So how would people assess their risks? Yeah, uh, it, I, I think there's a couple of ways. One is um, on the American Diabetes Association website, we have a 60-second risk test that you can just do online, and it'll give you a good sense right then and there what your risk is. And then diagnosing diabetes is as simple as a blood test, and, mm-hmm. and your healthcare provider can uh, do that. And, you know, the reason it's important is that many people have diabetes and they don't know it. Exactly. Uh, and if they don't know it, they can't get the treatment. And, you know, it's, it's sad when people have missed that opportunity and develop right. problems because it didn't get caught early. And people should know that their lifetime risk is 5 to 10% higher if they have a family history, especially in a first-degree relative. That would be a parent or a sibling or their child. And there's an increase in certain ethnic and racial, racial groups like Hispanic people, African Americans. So please treat yourself to a yearly physical and get, maybe you could comment a little bit on hemoglobin A1C. I always tell my patients that if we test your blood sugar today at 2 o'clock, depending on whether you had lunch or not. It, it may change, but hemoglobin A1C, I compare to climate as opposed to today's weather. It gives us an average. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, you're actually absolutely right, uh, Marianne. It's, it, it's really a, a sense of what's been going on over the last three months. Because blood sugars go up and down over the course mm-hmm. of eat something, your blood sugar goes up, it comes down. This takes an average of the last three months, so you really know where you've been. And and that number, that, that hemoglobin A1C number, really predicts the risk of, of all of the complications of diabetes. So the better that number is, the lower the risk of blindness, kidney failure, amputation, heart attacks, etc. Yeah, and really, I think with COVID, people were feeling so locked up. We're seeing people out there walking in their neighborhoods more. Yes, that's a wonderful thing, wonderful thing, whether you have diabetes, pre-diabetes, or you don't have diabetes. And remember, as Dr. Gabay said, pre-diabetes, some of the damage to your blood vessels that increase the risk for all these complications starts in the pre-diabetes phase. So please put those walking shoes, get out there with your doggie or your loved ones and, and enjoy a nice walk, especially before the colder weather comes. So the website, diabetes.org, wonderful information. And the National Diabetes Prevention Program, if you could tell us about that again, Bob. Yeah, that, that's a nationwide program. The American Diabetes Association is part of this. Um, and it, it is a program to prevent diabetes. And so if you mm-hmm. find out, you take the risk test and you see that you're at risk, you can enroll in this program and it will lower your chances of developing diabetes. By as much as 58%. Listen, friends, listen, visit diabetes.org for everything you need to know about diabetes. Dr. Robert Gabay, thank you so much. You were wonderful and explained things so clearly. People really benefit from, from hearing your information. So thank you for that and stay well. Thank you for doing the program and be well. Take care. Now, your real champions. For your real champion, May Cryer, Rosie the Riveter. May Cryer will tell you, I'm not a women's liver, I'm an equal writer. Women are just as capable as men, and she proved that in her role as Rosie the Riveter during World War II. 
Rosie the Riveter is one of the most famous icons in American history. She was the star of the campaign which called on American women to join the workforce and replace the men who enlisted in the armed services. But the famous image didn't tell the story of one woman named Rosie. It's about the millions of women who joined the war effort. May grew up on a farm in North Dakota during the Great Depression. Her great-grandfather settled there because of the Homestead Act, so she considers herself part of a pioneer family. In May of 1943, with our nation at war, May set out on her own adventure. She was 17, just finished high school. She and her sister Leola, a year older, along with their friend Kathy, headed to Seattle to work and have fun for the summer. They lived in a boarding house and found work with Boeing. Cryer said, when the war came, every man, woman, and child dropped what they were doing. We all pulled together, we all helped, and we did it to save our country. After two weeks of training, she learned how to drill, work with sheet metal, and finally become a riveter. It was a good way to earn money. Well, she loved the work and stayed through the war. She and the other Rosies helped to make over 6,000 B-17 and B-29 bombers. Then she met a sailor named Norman on the dance floor at a USO canteen, married him and moved back to Pennsylvania to raise their family. She speaks of him fondly and shares that he died at age 93, just before their 70th wedding anniversary. Decades ago, May began a letter-writing campaign to newspapers, veterans organizations, and TV stations. The goal? To promote a national Rosie the Riveter Day to recognize the contributions of all the American women who helped in the fight against Hitler. In early 2000, her story was covered by a local paper, and the idea took flight. By 2017, March 21 became the official annual Rosie the Riveter Day. By some sweet coincidence, March 21 is May's birthday. She continued her quest, this time for gold, the Congressional Medal of Honor for all the Rosies. When I first spoke to May in mid-August, she had enough support from the House, but only 56 of the 67 senators needed. Well, I spoke to her again last week, and by another sweet coincidence, she had just learned that morning she had 74 senators. The day was September 11. The Congress agreed to honor women who sacrificed on the anniversary of another day in our history marked with sacrifice. May has kept the legacy of Rosie alive by making red polka dot bandanas similar to the one in the poster from 1942. Well, now May is working on a new war front. She's using the same fabric to make masks during the COVID pandemic. She gets requests from every state and 11 countries for the masks. She's been on every TV network, speeches all over the country, including at Normandy on the 75th anniversary of D-Day. She even kissed an astronaut who walked on the moon. Says May... I'm 94 and I love people. People today need to remember to respect each other. I was born happy, healthy, and vital, and I plan to keep going. I tell my friends, get out of that rocking chair and keep going. She made me think of Rosie with her sleeve pulled up, showing her muscle, saying, we can do it. We salute you, May Cryer, Rosie the Riveter. Tune in next week to hear from Dr. Hugh Calkins from Johns Hopkins Medical Center to learn about atrial fibrillation. Visit our website to hear today's show or any of our shows, and you can also listen to the stories of your real champions. In fact, tell us about a champion in your family, your office, or community. Send your story to info at yourradiodoctor.com. Visit our website, yourradiodoctor.com. And now, after hearing all that medical information, your next therapy is the sounds of Sinatra. And always remember that your health is your wealth. 
Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.